You're listening to an encore presentation of The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. Tina Mitchell and the entire team would like to wish you and everyone a happy new year. Welcome to The Money Hour with host Tina Mitchell. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Highlands Residential Mortgage Limited, NMLS 134871. The views expressed by the speakers on the following program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Highlands Residential Mortgage Limited, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Highlands Residential Mortgage Limited. Now in the studio, local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome to the Money Hour at 1150 AM, KKNW, the Saturday show. You can also listen to my podcast, Facebook premiere, or you can catch my show on my show YouTube channel. I am your host and local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, bringing in expert advice and inside knowledge on today's events and how they can affect your money. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. I'm here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that I have on the show today. You you can go to themoneyhour.com. And my lineup for today's show, Scott Milburn of Advocates Law Group, PLLC, forming and managing an LLC property, or I should say properly. Also, <laughs> if you're watching our show on my Facebook premiere YouTube channel, I would love the opportunity to introduce my engineer producer over at Hubbard Radio, Benny. Hi, Tina. I love that like dramatic pause. It's really, <laughs> it's really good. Really good. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, thank you for everything that you do, Benny. You're welcome. And also, I want to give a big uh, shout out as well to my marketing director, Becky. Becky, thank you. Hi, Tina. So happy to see everyone. Thank you. I definitely could not do it without the two of them. There's a lot of work behind the scenes um, and a big shout out for both of them and everything that they do for the show. Great information and great guests in studio. For more information on any topic discussed, you can reach out to the show by going to themoneyhour.com. And now let's go ahead and start at the show as I do each week with a little bit of money chat. Money. Tina Mitchell here with your Money Chat, the movie, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. There's a dynamic scene where Mr. Grinch, now having change of heart, finds the strength to prevent all of the presents from toppling over the cliff, thus saving Christmas. How's that for an analogy? Yes, Powell's heart grew three sizes before our eyes last Wednesday, uttering the resounding words, the time for moderating the pace of rate increases may come as soon as next December meeting. As if the market was gearing up for expectations to all receive lumps of coal in our stocking, and suddenly there was a realization that Santa Powell did receive our letters. We got a pony instead. What Pal did last Wednesday was remove the uncertainty of whether we'd get 50 basis points or 75 basis points on the December 14th meeting. The news spiked the probability to an 80% of a 50 basis points hike, which the market priced in and saw an improvement in the mortgage interest rates on Thursday. In addition, the PCE inflation report came in on Thursday morning, short of expectations, which shows the peak inflation narrative still playing out. This report is another tool that the Fed is watching to gauge whether they're 
restrictive policy measures are working. So this is a tally for the pivot column. Well, we win some and we definitely lose some when it comes to the markets as implied by Friday's price auction to the tune of let it snow. Oh, the interest rates are pretty frightful and it's easy to let our minds become spiral. Whatever Powell says, we don't know. Just think of rainbows, eat some tacos and drink Pardo. Although the current climate does remain somewhat frightful, we recognize that each day presents a new set of outcomes that could quickly change our environment. When the going gets tough, the tough gets going. When all else fails, there are still tacos in Bordeaux. Non-farm payrolls came in stronger than expected, 263,000 versus 200,000, but the critical element was wage growth jumping from 0.6 versus 0.3 as expected, coupled with the reduction in the labor participation people looking for jobs. These two data points tell a story of the lower labor force participation in turn, causing wages to be driven higher. This challenges the feds to keep rates higher for longer thus causing treasury prices to sell off and pushing mortgage rates higher. Now, we must keep in mind that this is not a sprint, but a marathon, although often it feels like a race to the bottom. Just in the past couple of trading days, how quickly sediment shifted upon Powell's speech, giving away the strongly inspired market rally. The open to the week on Monday, the market open on Monday, the bond market dropped over 75 basis points in just one day. This was almost a quarter percent increase in interest rates from last Friday. We have a lot more data points to pull from in the coming weeks before Powell takes the stage again. This Monday, we will, this coming Monday, we're going to get the ISM services, which is the report that measures the impact of service providers in our economy. This is another inflationary cannery in the coal mine. So considering how the market is behaving towards these releases, it could be another market mover. Santa, don't forget the Grinch. I know he's mean, hairy, and smelly, and his hands are cold and clammy but I think he's kind of sweet. Cindy Lou, who said Tina Mitchell here. And that is your money chat coming up next on the money hour, forming and managing an LLC property, Scott Milburn of advocates law group, PLLC right here on 1150 AM KKNW. Are you tired of feeling unsure about what the numbers are? Are you a multi-passionate entrepreneur annoyed with being put into a box? Are you influential in some circles, yet you want to contribute in a bolder way? Marcel Allen, author of Financial Joy, loves encouraging people to take strategic action on social media. For 15 years, Marcel has supported people to become dynamic marketers, and to be confident in knowing the data behind their dreams. Whether you want to get your first 1,000 fans or 100,000, Marcel has strategies and frameworks that will empower you to show up in a way that serves many communities. Visit dreamosity.com. That's dreamosity.com. Or give Marcel a call at 360-420-9966. That's 360-420-9966. Dreamosity. Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. You're listening to an encore presentation 
of The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. Tina Mitchell and the entire team would like to wish you and everyone a happy new year. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Now, back to the show with local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. You're listening to The Money Hour at 1150 AM, KKNW, the Saturday show. You can also listen to my show podcast, Facebook premiere, or you can catch my show on my show YouTube channel. I am your host and local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. It's just a great day to talk about money. And that is what my show is all about, how to make money, save money, so you can have a better quality of life for you and your family. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. I'm here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that I have on the show today. You can go to the show and connect with me through themoneyhour.com. And now on my show, Scott Milburn of Advocates Law Group, PLLC, forming and managing an LLC properly right here on 1150 AM KKNW. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tina. Happy to be here. Yeah, very happy to have you. So a little bit about Scott before I get into my interview with him. Uh, Scott is an entrepreneurial attorney and senior business executive who brings a unique combination of legal and business experience to his clients. He started in the U.S. Justice Department and then spent 10 years at k Gates, which at the time was one of the largest law firms on the West Coast, focusing on commercial litigation. In 1998, Scott broadened his focus from practicing law to the entrepreneurial business community and served in business roles in a number of tech startups, and he continues to provide part-time management for growing companies. Scott joined Advocates Law Group in 2012, where he brings a unique combination of legal and business experience that provides maximum value to his clients. And Scott, I'm really excited. Uh, It's the first time in a long time that I have had one guest on my show. So this show is going to be all about you today and really excited for that. Well, and fortunately, you have a lawyer as your guest because we can manage to talk and talk and talk. So, Oh, I love that. <laughs> that is awesome. Two talkers. Well, hopefully you can sing a little bit better than me, but we'll uh, save that for another no, show. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right, Scott. So why should someone consider a legal entity for a business? Well, there actually, I mean, there can be a variety of reasons. A simple one could be they may come across as more professional if um, you know, if I'm uh, if I propose doing work for somebody, like I have a, a an LLC that's called Sage Management LLC, have Sage Management LLC be the contractor instead of me, Scott Milburn, individually. That that can just give more of an air of professionalism from a marketing standpoint. Um, a large reason, significant reason, though, uh, several significant reasons. One is there could be tax benefits, financial and tax benefits, to having a legal entity versus just doing things as a sole proprietor. And a big one for some people, depending on the nature of the business, is there's a potential protection from personal liability. So if your business is selling art at summer festivals and weekend, and, you know, and farmers markets and things, you're not going to get sued for anything. So it's really not important. You know, that protection from liability isn't important. But if the nature of your business is such that someone could get injured or have some significant claim against you, that having a legal entity generally means that if that that person or whomever sues, 
they're suing the entity and all they can go after is the entity's assets as opposed to your personal assets. So, yeah. you know, as I said, depending on the nature of the business, having that protection from personal liability could be very significant to somebody. Yeah. And this, this is what my show is all about. I'm 11, actually 12 years running now on uh, radio podcast hasn't been around for 12 years, but I bring in the best of the best to my listeners and everything regarding their money so that they really can avoid some pretty painful stuff. And when you talk about taxes and you talk about liability, it's a pretty big deal. And I like how you added in there too. It adds the professionalism into your company that you're an LLC. So thank you for that, Scott. So what about someone owning real rental property? Let's talk about that. Well, this is where the, the liability potential can, can can become very significant. If you if you buy a house that you're going to rent out to you know to, to whomever to tenants, it certainly is possible that a tenant tenant or a tenant's guest could get injured. Yes, they fall they fall through the stairs and they claim that you were negligent in how you maintain the stairs and you as the landlord, the owner of the property, potentially are liable for what could be a substantial personal injury claim. If you own the if you own that house personally then they're going to sue you personally and they can go after all of your assets. Yeah. If you if if you if the property owner forms an LLC and has the LLC own the house, then when the the, the tenant let's say in this case sues, they're suing the LLC and the only thing they can go after is the assets of the LLC which typically is just the equity in the home, but yeah. they can't reach, reach the rest of your assets. And so, is there a minimum amount of properties in order to uh, be able to form an LLC um or no? I and mean, there's no min, you know, there's yeah. no minimum in order to be able to do it. I mean, yes. you might say, well, if I have only one, is it really worth the trouble? But I mean, but in terms of from a legal standpoint, you could. Yeah, I would imagine if you have one, it is worth the trouble because yeah. one person yeah. can can destroy you. Um, and if you're running Airbnb as well, isn't it true that you it has to be an LLC for you to participate in? Or is that an in, is that not a correct statement? Um, I don't think I'm not aware that it has to be an, an LLC in order to to like be on VRBO or something. But okay, for the same reasons, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. So if you're listening to the show right now and you have a rental property or rental property properties and you're not uh, formed in an LLC, you really want to take a look at this. Uh, you can reach out to Scott by uh, going to the show, and I can get you connected with him. So uh, uh, Scott, can you talk about your experience? with banks. And um, obviously I'm in the banking lent side of it, but I want to hear, you know, what you've been dealing with in um, transferring real property from an individual to an LLC. Sure. It's, it's that point you were just making that, you know, people may realize I own rental property. I probably should have it in an LLC. Um, t- uh, on, if, assuming that there's a mortgage on the property, most loan documents, as you may know, Tina, most loan documents have what's called a due on sale clause, which says, you know, I'm going to, we're going to loan you this money for over 30 years, but if you sell the property, you have to pay it off at the time of sale. Yes. Typically loan documents will say that if you, that they'll, they'll treat a transfer. If I own the property individually and I transfer it to my LLC, technically that's a sale because it's no longer going to be in my name. It's going to be in the LLC's name. Most banks understand this because it's a very common thing that people do. And if somebody goes to their bank and requests permission, the, usually the bank's going to say, okay, I have had clients who are like, I'm just going to go the ask forgiveness route and figure maybe they'll never find out and not bother asking them because I don't want to run the risk of them saying no. But 
typically, I mean, what I advise clients is you really should go to the bank and, and get, seek approval because they generally do understand, but that is a consideration to have because, because yeah. it could trigger that due on sale clause. And then the LLC that owns the property would have to refinance. Absolutely. So um, because banks and lenders are lending to an individual, they're not lending to a company, which would be the mm -hmm. LLC. Now there are um, through the correspondent channel, which, um, uh, which I am, there are companies that are non QM that will lend an LLC store, you can avoid that right up front, but just know you're going to pay premium interest rate. So, you know, the difference between a half or a 1% higher interest rate when you could get that lower interest rate, and uh, then turn it, you know, into a put it into the LLC after the loans after like actually closed. And then another thing to, to, to recognize, as, as you probably know, that the lender may require the individual to guarantee um, the, the loan. So in other words, the, the LLC becomes the, the, the borrower, but there'll be a personal guarantee from the owner of the LLC. So they're still personally on the hook for the mortgage, but um, they have gotten the property into the LLC. Yes. Yeah. Thank you uh, for that disclosure, Scott. So how does someone choose between a corporation versus an LLC? Um, well, my easy answer is talk to your CPA and find out which one is better. <laughs> but it, I mean, that is, that, that is an element because, um, and I, that's, I advise clients of that, that they should check with their CPA because depending on the person's financial situation, the nature of the business that they're going to be doing in the in the legal entity, it could be that one or the other gives them a better tax benefit. So most of the time, not, but it's it's certainly worth checking with the CPA. But as far as from like the legal and the entity standpoint, they're both separate legal entities. Mm -hmm. Provide that protection from liability and those other benefits. Um, an LLC is easier to manage. It's a little less expensive. It's just easier to manage in general. It has some, some benefits such as if there are multiple partners, if you're in a corporation, whatever your stock ownership is, that's your economic interest and that's your voting interest. With an LLC, they don't have to be correspond so, correct, so directly. So for example, you could have two partners where one puts in 60% of the money and the other one puts in 40% and they decide there'll be 60, 40 on the economic interest in terms of how much, who gets the money when it comes out. Okay. They can be 50, 50 on voting. So they don't have to be the same thing. So you have that kind of flexibility. Interesting. And that's on the LLC side. On the LLC. Yeah. Because with a corporation, it's just how many shares of stock do you have? That's your economic yep. interest and your voting. Another factor is um, that with an LLC, um, you have the, you have um it's harder if, as you, if you're going to grow and you take on investors, an LLC isn't the ideal, ideal vehicle for that yeah. because it's much easier with a corporation just to issue stock to somebody. And particularly if, if somebody has a business where they think that at some point they're going to be looking for professional investment, venture capitalists or you know, you know, professional lenders, those lenders are financing, finance people are going to want a corporation. Now, yeah. it's, it's still, you can still form an LLC and operate it as an LLC for a while because that is easier and cheaper. And then if the day comes that you have a, you know, you're going to a venture capitalist, let's say, and they say you need to be a corporation, it's easy to convert it from an LLC to a corporation. But so for most people, 
starting a small business, and I always recommend an LLC, but there could be situations in which a corporation makes more sense. Yeah. And again, if you're listening to the show, um, it's, it's important when it comes to your money and decisions that you're making, uh, that you're working with an expert to make sure that you're structuring and setting it up the best way, um, as we talked about for tax purposes and for liability purposes. Um, and if you need an introduction to one of the best CPAs in our local market, reach out to the show. All right. So, um, uh, again, we've, my next question was kind of around a CPA and the importance of that, which we've, we've discussed that it's critically important. Don't try to do this on your own and make decisions. Have an expert um, and a really great one that's navigating you through that process. So, Scott, what are the basics of forming an LLC? Um, well, just to, to comment on your last thing about having an expert, mm -hmm. I have had clients come to me who thought, well, I can do all this on my own. And uh, for example, I had an optometrist who was working at Costco, wanted to go into his own practice, found a, an optometrist who was retiring and negotiated a deal to buy his practice, wanted to save money. So he didn't consult with a CPA or a lawyer. He did all the everything himself. He formed his own legal entity. He lines up a lender and the lender says, oh, we need an opinion letter from your lawyer saying everything's been done properly. Well, he asked me to do that. He had messed everything up so much, not using an expert that he had to pay me more money to correct things so that I could give the bank the opinion letter so he could get the loan that if he had just come to me in the first place and said, hey, can you do this for me? So your, your point about using experts is very well taken. It is, it's so important. And unfortunately, he was able to get to you before there was a costly mistake. Yes. Like that, and a more costly mistake than having to pay you a higher fee, right? Yes. I mean, that, that can go downwards, uh, downwards spiral uh, very quickly. So we've got, we have about uh, two minutes before we, we uh, wrap up this segment. Um, if you want to quickly. Yeah. So the uh, basic, you asked the about form. the basics mm -hmm. of forming. So the, the formal step is you go to the Secretary of State's uh, website and there's a, there, there's a, you click on form an entity and you, you just fill out an application basically with all the, the key information about the business. Um, you have to have, the business has to have a street address, can also have a mailing address, but it has to have a street address in the, in the state. There has to be a registered agent with a street address in the state and some other requirements. You pay the state $200 and you have an LLC. Um, and that's the bare minimum to form the legal entity. But the, 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 there are also important things like having certain key governing documents, an op written operating agreement, um, member either meeting minutes of the member meeting or written consent, and other key documents that are important to have as part of that process. Okay, wonderful. Well, coming up next on the Money Hour, continued conversation with my guest. Uh, we're talking about forming and managing an LLC properly with Scott Milburn of Advocates Law Group, PLLC, right here on 1150 AM KKNW. Self-help, healing, spirituality, and more on Alternative Talk, 1150. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. Tina Mitchell and the entire team would like to wish you and everyone a happy new year. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Now, back to the show with local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. 
You are listening to The Money Hour at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday show. You can also listen to my show podcast, Facebook premiere, or you can catch my show on my show YouTube channel. I am your host and local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. I am here to help you build a strong financial blueprint one week and one show at a time. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. I'm here to answer any questions or more importantly, to connect you with the guests that I have on the show. Uh, you can go to themoneyhour.com to reach out or to ask any questions. And now my continued conversation with Scott Milburn of Advocates Advocates Law Group, PLLC, forming and managing an LLC properly right here on 1150 AM KKNW. So uh, Scott, going into a little bit uh, more detail, let's talk about, is there a difference between an LLC uh, with a single member, married couple or multiple members? What does that look like? What's the difference? So, um, single member or married couple, they're treated the same. So if it's a married couple, it's treated, it's particularly since we're a community property state, a married couple, it, each own essentially 100%. So it's as if that there was one owner with their two names on it. So with it, you have a single member and an, or a married couple, that's essentially a single member LLC. One of the um, factors of that is normally, unless a special election is made with the IRS, uh, that's what's considered a pass-through entity for tax purposes. So instead of the LLC filing a tax return and you getting a form like, like what's called a K-1 or something like you can get from a company where you're investing, um, you just, you report it on a Schedule C and it just goes on your 1040 as, as a pass-through entity. So the LLC doesn't affect the taxation at all with, unless a special election is made. With a multi-member LLC, it is treated as for tax purposes, even as a totally separate entity. So the LLC will prepare a tax return and then each of the members gets a K-1. One of the biggest differences though, in terms of forming a multi-member LLC versus a single member, if you're a single member, obviously there's no issue about if you're gonna close it down, who gets what, how do you split it up? Uh -huh. If you're a married couple, that would if they were to get divorced, that's gonna be dealt with in the divorce anyway. But with the multi-member LLC, so you have unrelated business partners going in together, one of the critical things to have is what's called a buy-sell agreement, which basically says down the road, if one of us wants out, how do we do that? And so it'll contain formulas. Everybody agrees ahead of time what the formula is. So then if one of the partners wants out, it's like, okay, here's our document. It says we do this, this, we, we multiply this by this, and there's the answer. And it's like, everybody's like, okay, that's what we agreed to. But I've seen situations where people are in a multi-member LLC where they don't have a buy-sell agreement. Wow. There can be a big fight because the person who's leaving says, hey, it's worth a lot. It's worth 10 million. And the other one says, oh, it's worth only 6 million. Yeah. A big fight over that. So that so having that kind of stuff with a multi-member LLC is really important. Can and I would imagine that it has to be really important with multi-members as well when people have spouses that you know what if what if the uh one of the owners passes and and dies and it's left to a spouse that has no interaction or nothing to do with the business right i mean that has exactly. to be spelled out as well yeah so oftentimes um everybody will kind of agree the partners will agree we don't want you know we don't want anybody's spouse in here this is just yes. us yes and so they they can set it up where if one of the people dies the other members of the LLC have the right to buy their interest. So the estate, that, that person's estate will still get the value of their interest, uh -huh. but the, the 
the membership of the LLC does not pass to the estate. Other people are like, that's fine if my spouse comes in. So, you know, so, but that's a decision that has to be made, ideally should be made anyway, up front. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And that's why, again, having the experts to make sure that you're doing everything correctly and you've got everything covered uh, right now today and foreseeing things that could possibly come up in the future. Mm -hmm. So Scott, what is the registered agent and who can be that? So the state requires um, every legal entity to have what's called a registered agent. And that's the, the, the formal legal representative of the entity. So that's the person that the state will send formal notices to, like it's time for you to renew. And if you miss that and you don't renew, you become inactive, the entity becomes inactive. And so they, or if someone files a lawsuit against or some other legal proceeding that involves the entity LLC, those papers get delivered to the registered agent and their job is to ensure that the papers get to the, the owner of the business. Um, so you're, it's critical to have one. It has to be a separate person or a business. It, the LLC can't be its own registered agent, but one of the owners can be. Uh, the, one of the requirements of being a registered agent is having an actual physical street address in, this, in the state because somebody has to come knock on, be able to come knock on the door and say, here are the papers I'm giving you. So the an owner of the LLC can be their own registered agent. Uh, there are they can have someone else that they that's willing to do it be the registered agent. I do it for clients if they want that. And then there are companies out there whose business is being, you know, Washington registered agents or something that will. Okay. Uh, you know, you can just pay them a certain a fee per year and they'll serve as the registered agent. Got it. All right. So, and is it important to do more than just the simple formation with the state? It really is because, um, you know, that sort of do it yourself, spend 15 minutes and 200 bucks and wow, I have an LLC. Yep. You have the bare minimum, but um, in order to have it properly formed, there should be a written operating agreement. There should be uh, an initial meeting of the members or a written written consent that approves you know, what bank, like, for example, a bank is going to want a formal document signed by the member saying we approve uh, opening an account at Wells Fargo or whatever. Yes. Um, so there are certain uh, and the, certain documents, the buy sell that I was talking about with multi-members, having those those sets of documents is really important. Um, keeping them in like, you know, I tell clients, put these in a three ring binder. It may seem kind of silly you know, these days, but to have a three ring binder that has all of the key documents in it and the business license goes in there and, you know, things like that. So that you have them in one place and, um, you know, keep those records because it is, it's important to maintain it properly and make sure it's running properly, having an annual meeting every year, even, even if it's just you, it, again, this seems silly, but you should have, the, the person should have a a few paragraphs of meeting minutes from their annual meeting where they approve yeah. whatever the LLC is doing, just you know, because, because having those formalities can be important. Uh, whether it's a small one-man show or a big business, it should be ran like it's a big business. Yeah, I mean, it right? is a, it's a business. Yeah, ideally, it's a, it's it's a business. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So what things are important in the ongoing management of uh, the legal entity? Um, one is, and, you know, this will vary some with the nature of the business, but one typically is um, being licensed, maintaining a license with the Department of Revenue, business license. And if you're doing, and oftentimes a lo local municipality, if you're in the city of Seattle and you're operating a business in Seattle, you probably should have a Seattle business license as well. 
Mm -hmm. Those have to be renewed every year. The registration with the state or the legal entity itself has to be renewed every year. As I mentioned earlier, having that, that annual meeting, you know, meeting, even if it's just you, uh, is important. And if you, if even in over the course of the year, if there is some major event, um, you know, you're back to the residential um, property in an LLC. If they're, if they're going to refinance it, having meeting minutes in July saying the member approves refinancing and taking out a new loan from Wells Fargo for X amount. Uh, so keeping that ongoing documentation is important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how does someone write a contract with their LLC as a, a party? So this is this is a place where people, again, by not being careful, can get themselves in trouble. Mm-hmm. As, I, as I talked earlier, the LLC can provide that protection from liability so that if someone's going to sue, they can sue only the LLC. But what people will do sometimes is they enter into a contract with the LLC contracting with, you know, Acme Company. But at the bottom where they're signing it, they just sign it, Scott Milburn. Well, at the top, it may say Acme Company, you know, um, contracts with Milburn LLC. But if they're just, if I just sign it, Scott Milburn at the bottom, that's just me individually. And so then a court might say, well, yeah, maybe it was intended to be a contract with the LLC, but you signed it as an individual. There's no indication you were signing it in any other manner. So we're going to hold you personally liable on this contract. So what's very important with any type of legal entity is to, to have it, particularly the signature block say, Milburn LLC by Scott Milburn member. So it's clear that it's the legal entity that's the party. And I'm just signing as the member of the legal entity you know, member, president, whatever title I want to use, um, as opposed to it looking like it might be me personally. Got it. So when you're working with your uh, client, Scott, you're having a list of things that they need to do and they're going through to get them set up in um, uh, the best possible way. Yeah, I actually have about a a 15-page memo that I give clients that goes through all different things to make sure you do, you know, now and in the future to, to manage it properly. Yeah, that is great. So Scott, I've heard the term piercing the corporate veil. What does that mean? So this gets into that, the the, um, the liability question, the protection from liability. So there is, there's a term in the legal world, of, I mean, the corporate veil, if you think of like a bridal veil, hides the bride's face from the world until, you know, they lift the veil in time for the kiss or whatever. Um, the corporate veil does the same sort of thing. That's that, that's the term for that protection from liability. So liability that, that comes to the LLC can't go out of the LLC because the veil protects it just like it hides the bride's face. Piercing the corporate veil means essentially cutting a hole through that and allowing the liability to come through. And so what the basically when that happens is if somebody has been sloppy in how they manage, create and manage the LLC, because if you treat it in all aspects like a true separate legal entity, uh-huh. then you have the protection from liability. But what, what the court will say is, you know, you did form this LLC, but you treated it like a sole proprietorship. So we're going to treat it like a sole proprietorship and wow. you're personally liable. There are There's no black and white line that the court looks at, but there's a list of probably 10 different factors that a court will consider and then just make a judgment call. Were you sufficiently treating it like a legal entity? And that'll be things like, 
did you main, did you keep the finances separate or did you use the, the business, you know, your, your LLC credit card to buy something personal or, you know, were you sloppy with how you manage the money? Are you keeping clear and accurate records? Do you have all the formal documents? Are you doing an annual meeting every year? Um, do, are you uh, do contracting in your own name so it's not clear that it's the LLC? So there are all these different factors that a court will look at. And if the court decides, yeah, you really weren't treating it like a, a separate legal entity, you can be held personally liable. So if yeah, the- this is, is so important because I'm I I'm sure that there are people listening to the show right now, Scott. That just the few things that you list off, they're like, oh, oh no, you know. <laughs> so you really, and that's it's kind of it's a little scary that there's not a black and white line either, you know. Um, yeah. It's being left up to. So you want to make sure that you are over. Um, doing what the requirement would be to yeah. keep yourself not personally, because uh, otherwise it can it can devastate you financially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So uh, continued conversation coming up next on the Money Hour with Scott Milburn of Advocates Law Group PLLC. We're talking about forming and managing an LLC properly. Right here at eleven fifty AM KKNW. Rose Harrow is a changemaker catalyst, coaching executives and entrepreneurs to align their work with their life purpose so they can be themselves while they make a bigger difference in the world. As a former executive director of an international nonprofit and a certified master business coach, she coaches clients from four continents to grow profitable heart-based businesses without burning out or, or selling their souls. Let the changemaker catalyst help you by visiting roseharrow.com. Want to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Let us help you produce a professionally sounding radio show or podcast. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk 1150. You're listening to an encore presentation of The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. Tina Mitchell and the entire team would like to wish you and everyone a happy new year. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Now, back to the show with local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. You're listening to The Money Hour at 1150 AM, KKNW, the Saturday show. You can also listen to my show podcast, Facebook premiere, or you can catch my show on my show YouTube channel. I am your host and local mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. I bring into studio each week, the best of the best experts in our local market, everything regarding your money. And now continued conversation with Scott Milburn of Advocates Law Group, PLLC, forming and managing an LLC properly right here on 1150 AM KKNW. Uh, really enjoying my conversation here with you, Scott. I think it's it's such an important topic because there are so many small business owners that are at this um, point in their business where they really need to be making a decision if they're starting a business, whether it's going to be sole proprietor or LLC, or if they currently have a sole proprietor right now, really, should it be an LLC? So really important topic. And I appreciate you uh, sharing your expertise uh, with, with myself and my listeners. And particularly for people who are at a stage where it looks like the business is really going to take off. 
you know, because again, the smaller the business, the smaller the risk of something bad happening. But if you, you know, somebody starts out a business and boy, this looks like it's really going to be successful and I can start growing this business a lot. It's important to, if you haven't already thought about it, to think about that. Yeah, definitely. So can someone form an LLC in any state and can it be used for businesses uh, use, they can do business in other states? Yes. Um, so pe you can, people can choose the state they want to be in. And it can, okay. they, so for example, you can, if you live in Washington, I usually recommend the clients just form an LLC in Washington. But if you live in Washington, you can form an LLC in Washington and it can do business in other states. It has to register with that state with what seems kind of odd, but it's called a foreign entity, but that's because it's foreign to that other state. So you go down to, you're going to do business in Portland, you register the LLC in Washington, then you go down, then go down to Portland, we'll go online to the Portland Secretary of State's office. You don't have to go down to Portland, but um, you go on there and you registered as a foreign entity doing business in Oregon. And then each year, not only do you pay your Washington registration, but you pay the Oregon registration, typically that's 50 bucks a year or something like that. So it's not a big cost, but yeah. So you can form an LLC in Washington uh -huh. and do business in multiple states, but you can also, excuse me, you don't have to form it in your own state. You could, if, if you wanted to form one in another state and then have it do business in that state. Um, so, but you can do it either way. Got it. Obviously getting advice on how to structure it, what state's going to be best, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, how should someone choose the state in which to form an LLC? So, so um, there, again, there's it's like some of these other things. There's no like clear cut. Oh, check check this list, and this will tell you. But um, from my perspective, it's generally you may as well generally do it in your own state. If you live in Washington, it's just a little easier to have it be in Washington than forming in another state. Um, every now and then, there will be a, a sp special reason to have it in the other state. If it, all the business, if you're going to form, if you're going to do, be doing business in nothing but Oregon, it might look better to have it be an Oregon LLC than a Washington LLC. Um, and, you know, so there, there's that kind of consideration from a legal standpoint, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's more of a business and a strategy choice of okay. what's going to serve the business better because you have the, the options are all there, but what's going to serve the business better, serve you better as the owner um, is, you know, is it to have it just put it in Washington regardless or consider it in another state. Um, I've heard sometimes, um, I've heard clients say, well, I, I've been told I should form it in such and such state because of some perceived benefit. It used to be just like with corporations. Like a tax, like a tax benefit? Yeah, or something like that. Or you'll hear like with corporations, you'll hear, oh, you're, you should form it in Delaware. It's important. You know, everybody forms their corporations in Delaware. Well, they used to a hundred years ago because Delaware was the first state that had a very clear, well-defined set of laws regulating corporations and LLCs. So particularly businesses that are going to have investors, the investors want them to be in Delaware because they, yeah. then they knew what the law was going to be. Yeah. Uh, and so particularly the professional investors, venture capitalists and stuff would always insist that you use Delaware. But since in the last few decades, most states have adopted these uniform business codes. So the law is the same everywhere. So there's no longer that impetus or reason to choose Delaware, let's say, or some other state, because the, the rules are the same pretty much everywhere. Lawyers being lawyers and venture capitalists being venture capitalists, 
they do it that way because that's the way it's always been done. Mm. Uh, and there's this, there's, um, I see a lot of this in the legal profession, this um, inability to think like, you know, take a new fresh look at stuff and say, does it really need to be done that way? Quick little funny vignette. You know how lawyers write out dollar amounts? You see these in contracts and it's all the time. $5,428, you know, in words, uh -huh, uh -huh. parentheses, dollar sign, numerals. Ask a lawyer why they do that. It's because the way it's always been, then that's the way we oh do it. Oh my gosh. Here's the real reason. Back in the days before there were even typewriters, when contracts were handwritten, if you, if you write the numeral seven or the numeral nine and you're sloppy, they can look like each other. It's hard. To, it can be hard to tell them apart. There were cases that went to court where there were these contracts with big dollar amounts where there were numerals that were kind of sloppy and also the, the, the dollar amounts in words. And the courts would say the words control over the numerals because you're not going to write the word nine and have it look like the word seven. So yes. lawyers got in the habit in those days of handwritten contracts of writing out the words and then putting the numerals because they're easy to read. Now that we do everything in a Word document, if I type seven on my computer, it looks like yes. a seven. It looks like a seven. Yes. So there's, oh no, gosh, longer, there's no longer a reason to do that, but that's the way it's always been. But that's been. the way it's always been done. Yeah. And not so they really don't go well with uh with change, adapt no, change no. well. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's hilarious. Yeah. So let's talk about uh can the ownership of an LLC be hidden from public view? And what would be the benefit or not of doing that? Um, I mean, it, that's an interesting um, question because, um, so the answer is yes, in, in Washington and in most states, when you form an LLC, you have to list who the registered agent is, mm -hmm. uh, but that can be, you know, as I said, that could be the, the lawyer or some corporation. And you have to list a governor for the business, but the governor doesn't isn't required to be a member of the LLC. It can be, you know, somebody could just ask a friend to be the to be the person whose name goes on there as governor because there's no real legal significance to it. The state does not require um, anywhere to act, to list the actual member names. And I have had clients where, for whatever reason, they did not want it known to the you know be a public record that they were affiliated with the business. I mean, mm. or just you know, one example might be if somebody's going to start a, a, a cannabis industry business. They're, they're interested in getting in the cannabis industry and making money, but because of you know societal pressures or something, they don't want it known that they're involved in that business. So um, they will form it where you can't, you, you know, they, their name doesn't appear anywhere. Um, and so they're, you know, that, and, and you can do that in most states. And again, that's one of those ones where I've had somebody said to me a year or so ago, oh, I was told to form my LLC in Wyoming because I can hide my ownership. I said, well, you can do that in Washington. You can do too. that Washington, yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, Yes, you know, for certain people, they just don't want, you know, maybe they don't want their ex-spouse knowing that they've got this business making, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, for certain people, they have this desire to keep their ownership hidden. And as I said, the state doesn't care. The state asks nothing about who the actual owners are. And when you file um, records with the state, tax returns, whatever, um, Department of Revenue things, there's no need to disclose who the actual owners are. Got it. Yeah. So we've uh, we've discussed a lot of things here that I'm sure uh, Scott is is going to um, help people from be getting in a bad position. What are some other things that you see are common uh, mistakes that are made when 
setting up an LLC? Um, one of them is not keeping good records. And this is particularly important if you have like a multi-member LLC, uh, not keeping good records of how much money people put in as capital contributions and tracking all that. And it's like, oh, we formed it. Okay, now we can just go about doing the business. But it's important to, you know, to uh, that, as that example, track how much money each person puts in because that affects their capital account and presumably can impact what they should be getting out of it. Um, the ongoing documentation, um, making sure you're keeping every records in the right place. I mean, I've had situations where a client comes to me and wants to figure out, okay, who are the, can, we need to track the membership, um, you know, because we started out with three of us and we were each one third members, but then Joe put in more money and, they, you know, so, and they haven't kept those records. And so it can be really challenging to figure out how much is Joe's interest now because he put in extra money if they don't keep good records along the way. So that it, you know, it's, it's easy to form an LLC and then just forget about the management of it, just go do the business. But it's really important to stay on top of those things. And, you know, it's just like if you keep track of um, expenses for reimbursement, you don't wait until December 31st to fill out one year's worth of expense report because it's going to be a lot of work and you're probably going to miss things. So that's that's a big thing. It's just along the way, keep remembering that it's a separate legal entity and it's got to be treated like that. And you have to do all you have to have the annual meeting minutes and keep track of expenses and keep track of how much money everybody puts in and those kinds of things. Well, as attorneys always say, if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. Yeah. With an LLC, if you don't have the documentation, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Right. And for example, the uh, a written operating agreement says, "Here's how we vote on things," and here's and, and, and there'll be a. I have a provision in mind that say, any one of the members can spend up to X dollars without getting approval, but beyond that, you need approval of the other members because you. You need to be able to go to Office Depot and get a ream of paper for the printer. But, you know, going out and buying a $30,000 vehicle, that should probably go to all the members. So that's the kind of thing where you decide ahead of time, here are the limitations we want to place on what each member can do. Yeah. Remember, are members allowed to have a side business that maybe is similar to what the LLC does? So that's, you know, having those, having all that stuff documented and thought out ahead of time. And then sticking to it and paying attention to it over the course of time is it's important. Yeah. And Scott, I'm sure that you have a list of all of these things. These are the things that you need to consider in that documentation for somebody that's putting together. Right. And so, uh, again, really important of understanding all of those things that could come up and make sure that you're addressing each one of those. What's happening uh, in your business for you right now, Scott? Fortunately, it stayed, it has, my world has stayed pretty steady over the, you know, like over the COVID time. Um, I mean, it hasn't impacted me particularly. Because well, a lot I, of people were opening businesses, new businesses yeah. were opening because of, um, yeah, I mean, people, right? people were leaving jobs and then starting business, you know, I've always wanted to. Do exactly. <laughs> so I, there actually have had, I have had a lot of, like I formed a lot of LLCs in the last couple of years for people starting new businesses, deciding they want to get into rental property or whatever. Um, so yeah, so there's been a lot of that. There have been a lot of, um, uh, business transactions, buying and selling businesses. Uh, I think people who were deciding, you know, I've had enough of all this and I'm ready to sell my business, but somebody else wants to take advantage of the opportunity of what's been going on with COVID to acquire a business and start to build it. So that's been good. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so, I, I mean, it, for the most part, I haven't seen a lot of negative impact 
from like from COVID and the shutdown and everything on the legal world, at least. Yeah, good. What about any um, big changes that have happened, um, you know, in the last couple of years when it comes to LLCs? Have there been any? Uh... Um, not not so much with regard to LLCs, but on a somewhat different subject. One of the, a big change that happened a couple of years ago had to do with non-compete agreements, which is relevant if you have a if your business is big enough to have employees. Yes. Um, oftentimes people want a, a non-compete agreement so their employees can't go out and you know leave the business and go join a competing business. Like in the mortgage industry, I would yes, never exactly. go to a company that had me sign a non-compete because my clients are my clients and I'll go work for another company before I would ever sign that. So exactly. Yeah, go ahead. And so uh, what so it used to be that if, if your if your employer forced you know you required you to sign this non-compete and you go ahead and sign it, then you're stuck with the terms. Uh, Washington is one of those states that not maybe not as much as California, but tends to be favorable toward the employee. And so a couple of years ago, the legislature passed new laws that, that severely restricted the ability of a company to use a non-compete agreement with employees. Really? So an employee has to be making at least, if I, can, if I remember correctly, an employee has to be making at least 100000 a year or an independent contractor has to be getting paid at least 250000 a year before they can even have a non-compete. Okay. If, if the non-compete says that there's a dispute, it gets resolved in another state, like in the employer's home state, it's not valid. So there are these various things that they've done that make it um, much more difficult for an employer to have a non-compete with an employee. So therefore it gives employees more freedom to go to a, you know, go to a competing business. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting to hear, which I'm sure has had a, a, a huge impact on a lot of different businesses because not have, you know, not being able to have the ability of having that um, uh, held up in court could be a big and expensely expensive mm -hmm. uh, venture for a company. So Scott, as I'm uh, wrapping up my time here with you and the show, what is a, a call to action or shout out for my listeners and how do they connect with you? So um, I, I'd say a call to action is obviously if you're thinking of starting a business, consider whether an LLC or corporation would be appropriate for the nature of the business and talk to your CPA about would that be beneficial. And they can talk to me about, you know, in their situation from a legal standpoint, does it make sense? Somebody who has an LLC is concerned, ooh, I haven't been doing some of this stuff that I've been hearing about. I'm happy to do a, a compliance audit, basically review what they have and tell them, okay, this is good, but here are some things that you really ought to be doing. Um, so, you know, those, I mean, th those are some, some things that to people who are listening to this and are thinking, oh, I should think about this. I'd be happy to chat with them and give them some guidance to see if I can help. Wonderful. And how, can, how do they connect with you, Scott? Um, so my law firm is Advocates Law Group and our Website is Advocates LG, like law group. So it's advocates, plural, LG.com. There's a link to me on there and has my contact information and they can reach me that way. Wonderful. And if you're driving, didn't quite catch that, you can go to themoneyhour.com and I can connect you with Scott. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for coming into my virtual studio. It was really nice to be able to have a conversation with you and dedicate the entire show uh, for you. Thanks, Tina. I enjoyed it. Look forward to having you back. Thank you. And again, please uh, reach out to themoneyhour.com to connect uh, with myself, the show, or any of our guests. 
I am Tina Mitchell, your host and local mortgage expert. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And I look forward to talking more money with you next weekend, right here on 1150 AM KKNW. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145-420, is a licensed loan originator with Highlands Residential Mortgage Limited, NMLS 134-871. The views expressed by the speakers on the preceding program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Highlands Residential Mortgage Limited, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Highlands Residential Mortgage Limited.